0: Welcome to Worldwide Bible Study. Pastor Brian Wolfmuller here. We are talking about the life of Jacob with Martin Luther. Let's do it. Uh, we are in uh, Genesis here 28, oh, verses 13, 14, and 15. And uh, here's where we got last week. Oh, let me back it up a little bit. Um, oh, boy. How far did I go? Uh, we're so We're seeing what Luther says about this. Hopefully you all can see uh what I'm seeing here, um the Hebrew word uh, I better hear. let me click
1: this. yeah, there we are. so
0: here we are here's where we ended last week, and that is with this discussion of how God is the God of the living, not the God of the dead, and uh, how Jesus is the one who comes down uh to uh, to bless us and to give us all that we need. Uh, the, the angels are, as Jacob is looking at the ladder, which is Jesus, the picture of the incarnation, the angels are looking up. Uh, this is last week. I, I went too far back. And they're saying, how amazing is it that, uh, how amazing is it that the Lord is sitting above us on the throne? And then they look down and they see Jesus in the manger and they say, how is it that he's down there? And so the angels have this sort of, glory to God in the highest peace to his people on earth perspective up and down from this ladder. Uh, So, uh, so they, they rejoice in that. Uh, And and then it talked about how, remember how the Lord says, and he's speaking directly to Jacob here. I'm the God of Abraham who has died. The God of Isaac who is dying, not yet, but is getting old and dying. And uh, Luther reminds us, that the lord says i'm not the god of the dead but the living and how this means that that even though we die we live eternally we have the same god so that we need to be not be afraid of death lastly this will be luther's last comment on this and he's going to talk about the land that the lord is giving he says lastly the land of cana here is promised to the third patriarch that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob here, in spite of the fact that they did not hold even a foot's length. That's what Stephen preaches in Acts 7, 5. But because of the promise they received and hoped for another land, Hebrews 11. And they understood that when God spoke to Abraham and the other fathers in these physical promises, he also made a promise to the dead who in faith would have not only this land but the future fatherland as well this has a lot to do with um the interpretation that we learn from hebrews 11 how the lord was giving these promises now it's helpful for us to remember that that the promises that the lord gave to abraham were the three the threefold promises so and and this is just a real quick reminder but god comes to abraham and he says okay you're going to have the land, and also you're going to have a huge family, the star, sand, family. <laughs> That's going to be a huge, you're going to be a father of nations. But this was all for the promise of the seed. And the land and the family are bound up to the seed promise. This is what Israel missed when they said, look, we're part of God's family. Look, we're, we have the land. They don't. Re- they forget that the whole purpose was for the seed, who would be, remember how even in the promise, it's embedded in this promise that the Lord gives to Abraham, that his seed would be a blessing to all nations, so that the seed would expand past the large to the all, and past the land to the every, every nation, every tongue, and so forth. So that this this promise and this promise were to be subject to this great promise. That's one of these really important things for us to grab a hold of. Okay. Uh, so this is this promise of the physical promise. We got to remember. We got to remember this. Leanne nicely comments that it seems like my drawing tool is working better. And it is for some reason. I don't know why, but it's great. Concerning the seed, uh, the seed, he says it will be as the dust of the earth in Genesis 26. When speaking to Isaac, he compared it to the stars of heaven, likewise to the sand of the sea. Here he mentions the dust of the earth. That's been discussed above. But remember, and this can't be I we cannot emphasize this enough. This seed promise runs through the whole of the scriptures. Again, just to remind ourselves, it starts in Genesis. Uh, it starts in Genesis three uh with Genesis 315 where we have the promise given to Abraham and Isaac and then it goes to Abraham and then it goes to Isaac and then it goes to Jacob Israel and then it goes to Judah and then it goes for quite a while until it gets to David and then we get to Jesus when we hear the um when we hear the gospels at Christmas This is what we should be hearing, especially when we hear the the genealogies of Jesus. It's this thread, this golden, maybe a blood red thread that runs throughout the entire Old Testament, this promised Messiah. Okay. Okay. Now, here we are, verses 14 and 15. So let's get it here. Also, your descendants, your seed, really, whenever we see descendant, we read seed there. Uh, your descendants shall be as dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Again, a reflection of the Abraham promise. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now notice in uh, in this promise here, that there's an expansion, um, there's an out and an in. Uh, you shall spread abroad, west, east, north, south, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land. So out, this ex- the expanding nature of the promise, and then coming back in. Now, the one word, that Luther's really going to preach a sermon on is right here, you shall spread abroad. And it's this word paratz. There's what it looks like in the Hebrew. And let's let let Luther uh, expound it. Here a new word is used, a word which was not employed before in the promise. So, so many of the other words were already there in the promise that the Lord had already used them. He'd already talked about descendants. He'd already talked about the dust. He'd already talked about the seed and the families of the earth being blessed and behold, I'm with you. That promise has been there before. I will keep you all this, but this word shall spread abroad. This is a new word. And Luther says, we got to pay attention to that because the Lord is doing something Um, unique and unique and special here in this particular promise for Jacob below in Genesis 38, Moses also employs it with Perez, the son of Judah, born. And the midwife says, what a breach you have made for yourself. So that word paratz, that's translated here in Genesis 38 as, as breach. And in 2 Samuel 5, when David had overthrown the Philistines, he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me. And he called the name of the place baal Paratzim from the word also comes par, uh, paritz, a robber or a footpad. So Luther's doing the, mm, the lexical work here of tracking down this thing. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what what I do is I click on this and it pulls up a tool that tells me all of the references. But you know what? Luther didn't have this updated version of the software. He was working with an older version. So he, (laughs) he had, can you, uh, this is always the amazing thing to me. I mean, we just, we have so many tools. In fact, the books that we have before we had the software, we had books that would just give you every use of this. They, they just knew this stuff. They were studying and reading and paying attention to the words. It's pretty amazing, actually.
1: Um in Psalm 17,
0: verse 4, uh, and from this word has come the word pyrex, the name of a small bird, a tomtit, because it's a cruel bird. Uh Luther's talking about again this the origin of this, this particular word. Therefore, the word has a wonderful meaning. You will be divided, you will break out, you will spread out to all four parts of the earth. This is different and more complete than what he stated above, verse 13, I will give you the land. Nor will you spread out alone, but you and your descendants will spread out and rush or break out of this corner into all four parts of the world. He enumerates these directions in the opposite way, west, east, south, here, not only the possession of the land of Cana and also the future blessing in accord with the promise pointed out, but also the fact that Jacob will reign in all four parts of the world, and he will explain that later. So Luther says, normally you say, what, north, south, east, west. But here the Lord does it in the opposite order, west, then east, then north, and south. Uh, and he makes this remarkable uh, insertion.
1: do i get uh
0: all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you he says not only will you possess the land in which you're sleeping but you will break out in such a way that the blessed seed will proceed without any resistance of the uh without any resistance and it'll be spread out with might into the whole world again see how honed in on the seed promise luther is here God really speaks in a very friendly way with Jacob, as though he were saying the serpent, the devil, will try to oppose himself to the. Now, notice how whenever you see the seed, you see also the serpent. This is how these two are connected. You see the seed and you think serpent. The serpent will try to oppose himself to the blessing and resist it. He will attack not only one part in the land of Cana, the part which will take possession of the rule and physical blessings. He will resist the part which will be spread out through the world in all four directions. There he will assail the spiritual blessing with all his might. He will not cease for there is no end to his enmity of which mention has been made above in the first promise. So the devil's going to be after you again. And Pastor Ketchum, I were talking about, we're talking about this last week, how, how you can't read this kind of commentary anywhere else. As far as I know, because, well, because Luther is doing his biblical work here as a Christian. And he realizes that this is spiritual warfare that we're up against. The exceedingly wretched throng that has spiritual blessing is weak and afflicted. Who's that throng? That's the church. And how is the church? How is it described? Weak and afflicted,
1: just like Jacob.
0: It's a poor little flock, as Christ says in Luke 12, rejected, despised, not worthy of being regarded as the church. Indeed, it's not worthy of being regarded as a people at all much less as the people of God. What is that poor throng? The devil will think I'll devour them in the twinkling of an eye, but let him ravage without measure, tear, persecute, resist, hinder says the Lord. And again, he holds up before him the word meaning to proceed against. I will proceed against him. I will be a parats against a, par- a
1: paritz against a paritz.
0: The devil will come and proceed against the church. And the Lord says, I will break out against him. This is how God consoles Jacob. Now, re- remember uh, th- that the Lord is the breaker outer here.
1: The Lord is the one who who is destroying the devil. It's one of these things where
0: where we think, okay, the the strength of God, the power of God, the vengeance of God, are those? Is that law or gospel? And here it's uh, it's beautiful gospel, because the one who is strong is the one who's on your side. It's like when the huge, big, huge monster, muscly guy walks out onto the football team. Is that good news or bad news? Well, it depends on if he's your center or if he's the other team's nose guard right whose team is he on the lord's strength can be either law or gospel the question is well whose team is he on and here the lord is saying i'm on your team that's
1: the point here i got your back
0: this is how god consoles jacob and in him the whole church in order that he may be certain about his descendants. For although Esau exerc- exercises dominion after Jacob has been cast off and driven into exile, and even though he is really king and priest in the meantime, so that everything is full of despair and nothing is less likely than Jacob will be the future heir and ruler in the house and church, yet this is of little importance. Ha! You know, if we were there, do, can you imagine? that This is a... That Jacob is being driven into the wilderness, away from the family, and away from the promises. That seems like the most important thing. But, the, but Luther says, no, look, look well, that doesn't matter. The thing that matters is the promise. That's it. Be stout-hearted. Endure. For not only will you be the heir in the, in the house, and not only will the blessing of Abraham and the possession of the land be bestowed on you, but I also assure you that you will be a patriarch over the whole earth, and the father of the blessed seed through whom all the nations will be blessed. And I will accomplish this when I rage against him who rages. The Lord rages against the rager. Ha, phenomenal. Therefore, God points out that through the might of God and the Holy Spirit, he wants to force his way through against all the wisdom and power of the prince of this world. We know that this has been fulfilled, and we are finding out that it is being fulfilled even now. Been fulfilled, being fulfilled. This is how the Lord works. He accomplishes it, and then he keeps accomplishing it. The devil's head is crushed, and the Lord continues to crush Satan under our feet. The devil has always raged with horrible fury against the people of God from the time of the judges, the kings, the apostles, up to the end of the world so that one can think of nothing fiercer and crueler than the ruler of this world and the God of this world, two names for the devil, but I, in turn, will be a seem. Par- I, in turn, will force my way through and rage, says God, in order that he may feel the insuperable might and power in this paritzim. God accomplishes this with his might, with no wisdom and no power of ours. Now look at, so who's, where's the strength here? And this is so, so important. Where is the strength and power in us? No, it's in him. And and this is why, I mean, it's not, the, the Lord,
1: the Lord purposely excludes us.
0: That's the be still of Psalm 46. You remember this, you know, the be still that where, uh, I don't know how many times this is maybe one of those really, uh, often misquoted texts, uh, here it's here. It's here in the last part of the Psalm, Psalm 46, which is the, okay. Here's the picture of Psalm 46. How can we do, how can we set this up? Uh, Psalm 46 is, a okay, whenever we're talking about the Psalms, remember that we have three, four rules that we use. What's the structure? Who's talking to whom? What's the picture? That's the main one. What's the picture? The picture of Psalm 46 is Jerusalem, walled city of Jerusalem, and the Lord is in the midst of her. And it's a picture of the church because it talks about the river that's there. So you're in a besieged city. You're being threatened by all this, by surrounded by enemies. And yet you're not worried because God is with you in the midst of you. There's a river. So there, you, you don't have to worry about having something to drink, having something to eat. It's all provided in the city. It's great. But then all of a sudden, as you're peaceful, while everything around the city is falling apart, and while all these armies are coming up against the city to rage against it, you're, a, you're peaceful living in the middle of the city with, with the Lord. But then... Someone standing on the wall of the city says, hey, come and look at this. So you run up to the city wall and you see all these armies all around. And the Lord who's in the midst of the city rushes out of the city and single-handedly is destroying all the armies that are surrounding you. He's breaking the bow. He's shattering the spear. He's setting the chariots on fire. One man against every enemy and he's destroying them all. And as he's fighting, he turns around and looks at you and says, stay put. Watch this. That's Psalm 46. Uh, let me show it to you. The, the, and and, there's, and there's, a, there's a theological and spiritual logic here that is really important for us to see. Okay. It's a, so, so the whole psalm is, uh, the whole psalm is God talking to, or is is a, 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 a preaching. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is in the midst of her; she shall not be moved. This is the city. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage; verse six, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice; the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's the, that's the refrain. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he brought desolation on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariot with fire. And then here in verse 10, the Lord, as he's breaking the bow and shattering the spear and burning the chariots, looks back at us and says, stay put, be still, don't move, stay there. And why know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's not just it's it's not, it's not just that the Lord is alone, the one who saves us. Because we cannot save ourselves, which is true, we cannot save ourselves. But the Lord is the one who saves us because He would have the honor of being the
1: savior because he would have the the glory of being the deliverer and when we try to add to it it's not just impossible it's also insulting
0: it's a form of idolatry where where does this come up this comes up in the in Luther's in the last part of the large catechism, when uh, when Luther's introducing the the Ten Commandments, the last part of the first commandment uh, in the large catechism, which everybody should have memorized by now. But well, so if, just in case you don't have this memorized, uh, there's moreover another kind of false worship. This is the greatest idolatry that's been practiced up to now. It's still prevalent in the world. Upon it, all religious orders are founded, thinking here of the monks and stuff like this. It concerns only that uh, conscience, which seeks help, comfort, and salvation in its own works and seeks and presumes to wrest heaven from God. Do you see? So that if we seek help, comfort and salvation in our works our strength our anything then we wrest heaven from god if it keeps account how often it's made endowments fasted celebrated mass etc if it relies on them it boasts on them unwilling to receive anything as a gift from god but desiring by itself to earn or merit everything by works of supererogation as if god were in our service Or debt, and we his liege lords. Do you see that? uh, When we try to add our own works and will into salvation, it now it turns everything upside down.
1: This is making God into an idol, indeed an apple god,
0: and setting up ourselves as God. See, this reasoning, however, is a little too subtle. To be understood by young pupils. Urgh. I wish Luther would have preached a whole I mean he does. We're looking at it in Genesis, but the, this is always this little line here uh has always been a frustrating thing to me because I want Luther to go on for five or six more paragraphs about the danger of good works. But here's maybe uh someone Ben says, What does liege mean? This is like a um uh well it's just like a medieval term, liege lord. It's like a, a master. And you're the servant, like uh, you have the serfs and you have the one who rules over them. So that we, so the idea here is that, and and you see the theological idea is we normally say, well, look, our will doesn't play any role in salvation because it can't. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We don't have the freedom to choose God. Um, uh, uh, I believe that I cannot, by my own reason or strength, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or come to him and so forth. So we normally say that the will is excluded from salvation because of its capacity, which is true. It's true enough, but there's something even more important. And it is this, that even if we could choose Jesus, even if we could help him save ourselves, even if we could have a part of it, even if works could do something, they shouldn't because God would reserve for himself, the glory of being the savior. So that when Jesus says, I will rescue you. He says, be still. I don't, you can't help me, it's fine. But I don't want you to help me. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to purposely exclude you from the work of salvation. Do you see, you see? Okay. So, so, so here it is. Uh, God accomplishes this with his might this salvation Th- this is um this is pretty important guys uh, no wisdom of ours no power of ours everything in us is weak and worthless but in that nothingness which is us and that worthlessness so to speak god shows his strength according to the saying second corinthians 12, 9, 12 9, my power is made perfect in weakness. When you think that you've been devoured and destroyed, I will force my way through. That's the, the word there. Paritsi or paritz, paritz. That's that word. I'll force my way through and bring it to pass that you rise and reign. Thus, Christ was strongest when he was dead and weakest. For in that weakness, he condemned the world. This is amazing stuff right here. For in that weakness, he condemned the world and the ruler of this world together with all their power and wisdom. Accordingly, this word should be very carefully noted. Moses undoubtedly understood it well and took very great delight in it. Moses. So you have uh, Luther imagining Moses writing this and, and this gift that he received either from a tablet that maybe Jacob had written down, or from the Holy Spirit, where where he says, "Here's a new word to add to the blessing. And Moses, "Whoo, look at this! Parats. Moses undoubtedly understood it well and took very great delight in it. The patriarchs too paid close attention to these emphatic, brilliant, significant words. He could have used greater simplicity. Previously he simply said, "You shall spread abroad” But he preferred to use a stronger word, a military word pertaining to camp. St. Paul considered this when he said in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So how Luther knows what Paul was thinking about when he was writing 2 Corinthians 10, I don't know. But I like the way he thinks here, because this is another great spiritual warfare text, the 2 Corinthians 10. The Christian is at war. And, our, and I, we have weapons, but they are not worldly weapons, but have divine power. All ministers of the word are called soldiers and generals. This is part of the, by the way, part of the logic on um, why men are alone appointed to be pastors. Because men are alone appointed to die on the front lines. I mean, sometimes it happens that, The women and the children are killed in war, but that should be, that's always a great evil. Well, when a soldier goes off and fights and he even dies, that's a heroic thing. All right. God himself is called in scriptures, the God of armies. When we have the word Sabaoth, Sabaoth, that's what that means. God of armies, God of angel armies, God of hosts. We, we normally hear Sabaoth, holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth. We normally hear that and think Sabbath, God of Sabbath. No, God of Sabaoth, God of armies, soldiers, warriors. Uh, paratzim. yet without, without, here, this out, this is excluded, without the might of flesh, without human strength and wisdom, but with the strength of the Holy Spirit, in the greatest weakness, humility, and modesty.
1: See this the strength of the Holy Spirit it,
0: uh, I wonder how I'm thinking about so can I maybe just meditate on this a little bit more? Um, you, you know we so we we think of the, alo- the solas of the Reformation, right. So we have sola, grace, grace alone, and we have faith alone, and we have scripture alone. And these are, the, these are the things that get us in trouble, right? It's not that we teach grace and faith and scripture. If we would have gone to, to Rome and said, hey, we, we believe in grace and faith and, and the Bible, and they would say, well, yeah, so do we. No big deal. But that we put the sola in there, that grace alone, this is what makes it exclusive. And that that exclusiveness is where the trouble comes in. It's uh, even with grace. I don't think the Catholic Church has too much trouble when we say grace alone, because they, they just have a different understanding of grace. So it doesn't bother them too much. But it's the faith alone that does it. And 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 it has this exclusive solo it works in two different ways uh um
1: it's there's a should and there's a uh there's a there's a
0: should and there's a does <laughs> there's a should and a does of the solo so that it's not only that faith alone does save but also that faith alone should save does that make sense in other words it's impossible for anything but faith to save as the lord has arranged it and yet if we try to add anything to this we're this there's an immorality so there's a parallel this sola there's a parallel for example to idolatry in the first commandment, it says that you should worship the Lord God alone. Now this there's a does there's a, maybe maybe does is I, I need a better word. there is, does, there So first, why do we worship God alone? Well, because there is one God, right? But also there's a lot of things that want to pretend to be God. And so there should, we should only worship God alone. Uh, in other words, it's not only a description of what is true, it's also a description of what is right Maybe that's the way to say it. This is there's a truth to it. but there's also a, a rightness to it. Thanks for letting me exp- kind of explore this with you guys. And if you have a better way to say it, then ple- then please let me know. So it's true that faith alone saves. That's maybe the first part. This is true, but it's also right that faith alone saves. It's true that there's only one God, but it's also right that there's only one God. So that the sola of the Reformation, the sola of God's grace, is not only explaining what is true, our will is not involved in salvation. Church tradition does not have authority over consciences. That's scripture alone. That's true. But it's also right so that anyone who would try to add something to grace or add something to faith or add something to scripture or add something to God or add something to his salvation does wrong. They transgress the sola so that nothing should be added. Those are not crosses. Those are pluses and I'm xing an them out. Does that make sense? I feel that I, 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 this is one of these bad times when you're teaching and something makes sense in your mind, <laughs> but not necessarily in your words. Okay, so this is, why, uh, this is why Luther is on this so much, to exclude our own works. Why? Because God gets all the glory.
1: It's great. Okay, now what's the outcome of this battle
0: that is with between the breaker througher and the breaker througher, between God and the devil? Here's the answer: All the families of the earth will be blessed by you and your descendants. I mean, no carnal tyranny. I will not rage in such a way that I harm and destroy men. This, the mighty men of the world do. With their tyranny, they rage with a sword and fury only in order that some may exercise dominion over others and may practice their cruelty on those who are under them. That's Gentile stuff. But my, the Lord's raging, the Lord's strength, my my raging, my victory, my strength must be salutary, helpful, blessed, quickening, life-giving, kind, merciful, which does not harm or injure men, but blesses. All, saves all, liberates them from sin, death, and the devil. And though that, and through that raging, I will destroy the tyranny and raging of the devil. And this victory will benefit the whole world through your descendants. In this way, God explains this bursting forth by means of the words, In you shall be blessed. Woo! Just fantastic. Now, uh Luther's wants to get on the to the thing for family here, families, because before the Lord said nations, but now he's also changed this little word here, and it's and he's said families. so we want to we want to think about that for a little bit. And I think this will probably be our topic today. yes, so so here he's gonna he's gonna dig into families. Uh, above in genesis twenty four he spoke of nations. Here he speaks of families, a word which extends less widely than the word nation. For every nation has many families. This blessing then will be extended not only to the nations in general, but also in particular to the families among the nations. Not that all from every family will receive the blessing, but some from all families will embrace it. Accordingly, in this place, the blessing is clearer and more explicit. It's expressed in stronger and more meaningful words. Here, the word is not reflexive, meaning they will bless themselves. No, it's simply passive, meaning they will be blessed. The word used above is stronger. Yet when he says here, they will be blessed, he adequately expresses the fact that he will break out into four parts of the earth. For they will be blessed signifies the same thing as the statement that they will hear the preaching. (laughs) Ha ha! To hear the preaching and to believe it and receive it when it has been heard differ, just as the word above designates not only the preaching when it has been heard, but also those who receive it when it has been heard. Thy kingdom come, th- uh, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. There's the difference there. So Psalm 34 says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. That is to say, I, I not only uh, praised in the Lord, I am not only praised in the Lord, but transitively, I, the soul which has been praised, am encouraged, or my soul glories when it hears the preaching of the blessing. It admits and receives that blessing. Therefore, he points out that this blessing, which comes from Jacob himself, must be published abroad. For the gospel concerning Christ the Savior cannot be preached without adding that he was born from Abraham, From Jacob, for we must have sure proof that he was in all truth, the son of man, a natural man, not a scepter, ghost, an apparition, as Manichius raved. Manichius was the uh, dualist heretic in the early church. Therefore, we have his, um, the Lutherans were, the Catholics thought that the Lutherans were Manichian. I think, I don't know if if Luther is particularly sensitive to that accusation because uh, Manichae, what was his name? Manichae, I think Manichaeus was his name. Um, and the Manichaeans that followed him had the distinction between law and gospel, but they made it like a dualistic Gnostic distinction. So Manichaeus had a very limited canon. He, I like, only had the gospel of, Luke and Acts and the letters of Paul. He rejected the Old Testament, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Therefore, we have his ancestors who were true men, Jesus' ancestors, nor can he be named without these fathers, without Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Adam, in order that he may have a definitive lineage, a true father, a true mother, and that it may be certain that he is from a human seed and that he took upon himself human nature, not the angels, not any other creature. Accordingly, a definite place was assigned to the nativity of Christ for the fathers and the prophets, and definite persons from whom he had to descend were named. Consequently, we cannot doubt that he is in very truth our flesh and uh, blood, bone of our bones. That's the point. One with us. Accordingly, when he is preached and praised, his parents, from whom he assumed flesh, are named the same time. And at the same time, we too are included, for we whose sakes he became the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not the seed of angels. Therefore, he so carefully inculcates and so often repeats the word, in your seed, etc. It is as though he were saying, know for sure that you will have descendants. Now you are alone, without a wife, without children, you're exiled, but later you shall have children's children, and that son will make children who will make children of God. It's an amazing thing to think about. I mean, here's here's Jacob, sleeping on a rock by himself, exiled, seventy seven years old, and the Lord is saying, "From your seed, all the families will be blessed." Really marvelous. Jill says, "I think I missed." Uh, are you saying the solas are parallel to idolatry, or did you mean to say something else? Let me try. Let me try one more time, and then we'll wrap up here. Let me try one more time to see if I can um to see if i can explain this so there i i am saying something like that but maybe the exact opposite so so maybe let's start with the command uh from god when he says so here's the first commandment you shall worship god alone right that's that's number one so so god sola okay Now we understand from this commandment that we understand two things. Number one,
1: that there is only one God and anything else that would claim to be God
0: um, is false. So there's a must. No, 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 that's not right. That's not the so that there's a so that there is a Let me get a different color here. There's a truth here. But we also understand that there is a, uh, that when it says you should worship God alone, that there's a, uh, that,
1: um, that idols, which are things claiming to be God, idols uh, must be rejected denied and so there's not only a truth there there's a um there's a command
0: so th- th- that the lord is saying that th- there's a there's a um there's only one god true enough but there are lots of things that command that want to be recognized as God and they have to be they have to be removed they have to be excluded idols denied maybe that's the word idols excluded so that so when it comes now to the other parts of salvation so and there there's an extension from that God alone means
1: for example grace that is Without merit, uh, faith without works or scripture without other authority.
0: So that this, that, uh, but we normally think, okay, this is true. We we think, well, it it has to be grace alone because there's nothing else, but there's, this is not only a truth, but it's also a command. Same with faith. It's not only true,
1: but it's also a command.
0: In other words, and I think this is the thing. Is you know we often say, "Look, we can't save ourselves. We can't help. We we. It's true, we can't. But we also must not. It's maybe, maybe this is what I'm after. We normally say, "Well, look, God alone saves us. We don't add to our salvation because we can't add to our salvation. But that's not that's only one part of it. We sh- we should not even if we could help with our salvation. We are forbidden from helping with our salvation." The Lord says, "I'm going to save you." Monergism, which means that God alone saves, is not only the reality of salvation, but the divine mandate for salvation. I think that's what I'm getting. Sorry, I I probably need to cook on that a little bit more uh, so that I can uh, teach it better as well. Well, thank you. So, okay, so let's we'll stop the recording here and then jump on and talk about it a little bit more. But let's um let's say a prayer. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for this great promise that you will break through against the devil and that your might will be made known in saving us rescuing us and delivering us keep us in this promise now and forever through christ our lord amen all right the lord bless and
1: keep you